Good day, everyone. I am Colorado State University Extension Horticulture Agent Linda Langelo, and joining me today is Allison O'Connor, CSU Extension Horticulture Agent in Larimer County. Now let's get to the heart of it, where we're exploring the history of holiday plants. Hello, Allison. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could do this. We want to start with uh, poinsettias and, and let folks know about some of the history? Yeah, I think poinsettias are really the poster child of our holiday plants, right? Everybody has one on their table. There's tons of poinsettia sales that happen during the holiday season. And the history is actually really interesting. So obviously, this is a tropical plant. It is not native to Colorado and it is definitely not hardy to Colorado either. So if you do have a poinsettia, make sure that you're keeping it in a nice warm location. So the history of the poinsettia is actually native to Southern Mexico and it's in the Euphorbiaceae family. And if you're not familiar with plants in that family, it's commonly known as the spurges. And so we have obviously some not desirable spurges that we see, uh, especially in our gardens, um, but there are some ornamental spurges as well, and poinsettia is one of those. Uh, so it is a native to Mexico, and down in Mexico, it's a woody plant, so similar to a tree or a shrub, and it can reach heights of 10 feet. That's incredible. It really is, and what's interesting is that this plant wasn't introduced to the United States until about the mid 1800s, where it was discovered by a man named Joel Roberts Poinsett. So that name might be familiar where we get the common name poinsettia. And he was a skilled botanist. And so he was down in Mexico. He found this plant, obviously the bracts, which are the colored parts of the plant uh, were colored and in bloom. Um, and he brought it back to United, the United States where it was then put into production. So he started propagating it and then it became really commonplace, um, introduced by a nurseryman in Pennsylvania. Uh, and then it became commonplace and was named in the name of Joel Poinsett in 1833. So discovered in 1825 and then named after Joel Poinsett in 1833. I can't think of really any plant that's not named after the person that discovered it. Can you? I don't think so. And I think that's one of the cool things about being a botanist is that you can name things after yourself or your daughter or your cousin. Or um, I do know of some Linnaeus. So obviously one of our major plants people that we had um, he he had a few people that didn't really like what he was doing. And so I know that he named some weeds after what he called enemies. And so he named some really undesirable, ugly plants after some of his enemies, which I think oh, is really funny. <laughs> that's that's funny. That's uh, how to get how to get back at your enemies, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, tell tell folks about the milky sap that has medicinal qualities and um, it can help with skin conditions, warts and toothaches, but. Yes. So being in the spurge family, 
all of these plants have this white milky latex sap. So if you break off any of the plant part, you'll get kind of an oozy white thing. Sometimes in poinsettias, you might actually see it along the bracts where if the leaf or the bract gets damaged, it might seep out. So it does have medicinal purposes, which is really interesting. But if you do have a latex allergy or any sort of skin, skin sensitivities, uh, you should definitely be careful handling this plant. Make sure you wash your hands, don't touch your eyes. Um, I unfortunately learned this the hard way. So when I was a student at Iowa State, our horticulture club had a poinsettia sale and we were of course, selling poinsettias left and right. And I made the mistake of not washing my hands, but going to class. And I actually touched my eye and my eye swelled up to the point where I actually had to go to urgent care. <laughs> so lesson learned, make sure that you're washing your hands or wear gloves uh, because while the latex app is beneficial, it can also cause some um, reactions in people. Yes, and latex allergies are probably uh, more common in those that work in the green industry and wear the latex gloves all the time. I know after many, many years, I've developed that allergy. Yeah, so it's just take extra precautions. The same thing goes if you're weeding your garden and you run into some of the spurges or um, are planting any of these as ornamentals, just take those extra precautions. Wash your gloves, wash your hands, just be careful. What about pets, Allison? Should yeah, people so, be- Yeah, uh... that's- Go ahead. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> that's a great question. So I think the poinsettia got this really bad reputation of being this incredibly toxic and poisonous plant to pets. And there was this, it kind of dates back. It's one of those myths that kind of still eludes uh, the general public. So the poinsettia is not- poisonous. That's the first thing to know. And while it does have that milky latex sap, which can cause some issues, the plant itself is not poisonous. And so Ohio State University did a research study where they essentially took poinsettias, they ground them up, and then they sadly fed those plant parts to rats. Okay, so yes. Um, but what they found is that the lethal dose of poinsettias is in the pounds to people. So if a child were to eat 50 bracts, and so one of those bracts on the poinsettias, you know, it has multiple um, sections to it. If a child ate 50 bracts, Ohio State estimated that they would suffer from a fairly mild stomach ache they would likely be ill, but it wouldn't be a toxic thing or cause any sort of toxicity. So the same thing goes for your cats. Obviously, don't allow your pets, your cats, your dogs to chew on any plants. It's never a good thing. Um, but if they do happen to nibble on a leaf, it's not going to cause any sort of harm. But obviously put things out of place. Um, but that is a myth that still evolves. And I still see that at garden centers where it's like, this plant is toxic, make sure uh, that you keep it away from pets and kids. Well, hopefully nobody will eat 50 bracts. I can't imagine that's good eats. <laughs> no, I can't even imagine it with the milky sap. It would no. taste very good. <laughs> no, it would not taste good. And that's the thing. I think if you had someone nibble, it would be an absolutely terrible taste. <laughs> yes, uh, they'd never do it again, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Do you want to move on to holiday cactus? 
Yeah, let's do that. So our holiday cactus, sometimes called Christmas cactus, this is a common house plant that a lot of people have for years. And so there's actually holiday cactus that have been passed on generation to generation. I am one of those people. So I have a cutting from a holiday cactus that my grandma had, um, which my mom still owns. And so that cactus is probably 50 plus years old. And then I have a cutting from it. And so it's one of those heritage plants that you might have. Um, so the the genus, which is Slurmbergia, is attributed to Friedrich um, Slumberger, who was a French collector of exotic botanicals. So this is actually one that dates back over to Europe. Um, but then they were discovered by Alan Cunningham. So uh, Linda, that name might be familiar to you in the 1800s. And then Alan Cunningham did a lot of breeding, hybridization, and then introduced several cultivars. Uh, so what's interesting is that we actually have three different types of holiday cactus. So we have a Thanksgiving, we have a Christmas, and then we have an Easter cactus. And they are named accordingly to when they generally bloom. So if you have a holiday cactus in your home and it was blooming for you over Thanksgiving, more than likely it's the Thanksgiving type. If it blooms a little bit later in the spring, it's probably Easter. Um, the Easter cactus is actually a different genus, but very closely related uh, to the other two, which is interesting. And if you get really nerdy about this, you can actually start to identify the type of holiday cactus you have based on the leaves that they have. Um, which aren't true leaves because it's actually a cactus. So similar to our saguaros, to our prickly pear. So it's in that same plant family, which is really interesting. Um, so natively, these plants are found in the mountains of Brazil. Uh, they tend to be epiphytes, which means they don't generally grow in soil, uh, but they grow in the surrounding region. So think of orchids and things like that, where they're getting their nutrients in water from the air itself. Um, and then they kind of anchor themselves. So they're really, I, I'm fascinated by the holiday cactus. Do you grow them, Linda? I, I do. And I believe they are the most number one misidentified plant of all plants. And so that's why I guess they lump them as holiday cactus. I would agree. Because, I mean, th think of it, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, all the holidays, right? All the holidays, exactly. Yeah, and what's really interesting is I think they're a fairly easy houseplant to grow. And I will admit that I'm not a great grower of houseplants. I have a lot of snake plants, if that tells you anything about the type of houseplants I generally grow. But my holiday cactus, because they are a true cactus, can tolerate a little bit of neglect. And so if you're not great about remembering to water, that's me. Um, they will actually be able to survive. So the roots may die, but the actual leaf part or the bracts of the holiday cactus will live until they get periods of water. So think of those natural dry down conditions that they might face where there's going to be a rainy season and a dry season. And so they've been able to adapt. They're an awesome plant, absolutely amazing. And you're absolutely right. People should think about that in their care of it you know, over time, because it always goes back to where they originated from. You know, yes. think about the climate in Brazil or like poinsettias in Mexico, you know. Right. So try to mimic that in your Colorado home. 
<laughs> as <laughs> best you can. As best you can, <laughs> right? Do the best you can. And really what I've found with a lot of houseplants is once they find their spot, leave them be, right? Uh, I think people tend to care too much. And in some cases, just letting them go, uh, making sure they're doing their thing. Um, the one thing with holiday cactus is that they do like to be repotted every few years. So that's one thing that you can put on your to-do list, but it doesn't need to be done every year, just every few years um, in order to refresh and kind of rejuvenate the plant itself. Um, if you're struggling with getting it to bloom, you'd want to kind of monitor how much light it's getting. So we call these, and poinsettias are the same, is that they're a plant that blooms based on the photo period, which is the number of hours in a day. So uh, poinsettias and Christmas cactus are both short day plants and they need long nights. So short light periods where it's actually daylight and longer night hours. Uh, but that's what triggers the bloom. Um, but often, you know, we're in winter, we don't have as much sunlight. It's longer. We have, you know, it's dark at five o'clock at night until seven o'clock in the morning. And so those are those natural long days that you might get. And if somebody has a perfect location for that, that would be great. Yes. And you can put them in a closet. You can try to put them in a room, like a guest bedroom where it doesn't get a lot of light, but it is, it's a little tricky. And so I think most homeowners generally just go with what happens um, and appreciate the blooms that they do get. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think for most people, it's probably a disposable plant. Poinsettias anyway. Yes. Not the holiday cactus. I would agree. Um, and the holiday cactus, they don't just come in pink and red. Those might be the ones that are common to you. Um, there are bicolor options. There are reds, there are pinks, there, there's even gold, which I haven't seen, but I would love to see that kind of a yellow gold color. And I'm guessing when you get fancy, you're going to be spending a little bit more money on those as well. So, Absolutely. Yes. It, it, it always works that way, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Do you want to go on to amaryllis? Yeah, let's talk amaryllis, which I find to be some of the most beautiful of our holiday plants that we see. I think all of the plants we've talked about have merits, but the amaryllis just are absolutely stunning. Um, so amaryllis uh, means sparkling. Uh, so you can kind of see, if you know the amaryllis, these are these big showy red or other colored big trumpet flowers, kind of almost lily-like, but really, really spectacular. Um, and we bring them into our homes to force. And so they are a bulb. And so they have a large bulb if you've ever planted one or grown one. And the history of the amaryllis is kind of interesting because it dates back to Greek mythology. World, well, I'll tell you the story. Um, it, so there was a, a young girl named Amaryllis, and she was in love with a man named Elteo, who apparently had a cold heart. So he wasn't very interested in Amaryllis. And so she went to, um, she went to get some help um, in the Oracle of Delphi. So again, Greek mythology, bear with me here. And they recommended that she pierce her heart with a golden arrow. So Amaryllis did this in order to win the love of Elteo. So she pierced her heart with a golden arrow. And for 30 days, she visited the home of Elteo 
And as she was visiting the home, the droplets of blood from her heart would be sprinkled along the pathway. On the 30th day, all of a sudden, those droplets of blood bloomed into Amaryllis. Alteo took notice, they fell in love, and the rest is history. So these beautiful flowers that sprouted from her blood are what we see now as the Amaryllis flower. And her heart was fine. That healed itself, which is great. Um, so it's an interesting history. What we know about the Amaryllis is it's generally grown as a house plant. And I think that's one where if you can get it to rebloom, you can consider yourself a pretty darn good gardener because it does have a little bit of finickiness with it. Um, but the amaryllis itself stands very tall. Uh, the larger the bloom, the more, or the larger the bulb, the more blooms you're actually going to get. So if you've ever grown one, you might get one or two stalks. Those stalks might have four to five flowers each. And so it can be a house plant that lasts for several weeks. Uh, depending on how you take care of it, the temperature of your home, and all of those things as well. Um, what's interesting is that most of our amaryllis bulbs come from Holland and South Africa, and the U.S. imports about 10 million of them every year, which is a really big number. I don't know how that compares to poinsettias, uh, but definitely a really big market and a big trade from some of our neighbors uh, over in Holland and South Africa. And if you're really good about growing amaryllis, I know people who are able to grow them, get them to rebloom every year. Um, generally, that mother bulb sets off a daughter bulb. So if you think about if you've ever planted daffodils or crocus in your landscape and you dig them up, you can actually separate them out. So the daughter bulbs are then what you can then propagate, but just know that it takes probably three to four years for those daughter bulbs to actually produce a bloom. So it takes a while for it to get to that, that point. Um, also like the poinsettia, this is really interesting. Um, the genus of amaryllis has been used for medicinal purposes as well. And they're using it as a possible way to help combat, to solve, to prevent Alzheimer's, which is really interesting. So Greek mythology, helping cure Alzheimer's, the amaryllis is fascinating. Amazing plant. But I, yeah. I really want to know is, is where the maiden amaryllis got that golden arrow from, other than the oracle. But then the again- The oracle of Delphi, I don't know. <laughs> That's, I think, where we, we have to have a little bit of imagination. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's Greek mythology. After it is. All. <laughs> uh, it's amazing to know that all of these plants in some way have a medicinal use for us it's it's fabulous it is I just think it's I think so many plants maybe are just appreciated only for their ornamental value or their beauty but they have so many other characteristics that could add to society as a whole which is awesome and and I know that you said there's 10 million that come in to the United States. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. And have you seen the amaryllis bulbs that are coated in wax? So these no. are the ones, they're, they're amazing. So instead of being planted in soil or potting media, they're actually coated in wax. And so you don't need to water them. You don't need to do anything to them. All you have to do is put them in a sunny window and they will bloom 
in that wax. What I've been told is that because when they put the wax on, they remove the basal plate of the bulb, so that bottom part, it's unlikely that they're going to rebloom for you. But in terms of a holiday gift for that person who doesn't have a good gardening gene, uh, it's a perfect thing to do. Well, and you know, the flower itself is so stunning and there are so many different cultivars out there now, so many different combinations that, you know, for somebody who doesn't have a green thumb and do this on a regular basis, it is a really nice gift because it's such, brings a person such cheeriness, you know, for the holidays. Yes, and beyond. I think my amaryllis bloomed into February last year. And it was, I keep my house pretty cold, so that's something to note, but it was, it sent up two stalks. They had multiple flowers. It was gorgeous. And it's an amazing cut flower too. So if you're looking to add a like a really big statement to your cut flower arrangements, you could grow amaryllis as well. Good to know. Well, thank you, Allison, for joining me today. And a thank you to the audience for listening. Tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter on another horticultural topic.